In the word of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. We pray that you would give us grace to heed their warnings, to forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may not be aware that today, December the 6th, is not only the second day of Advent, but December 6th is also the feast day of St. Nicholas of Myra. That's where we get uh, the character Santa Claus. St. Nick was a, a good and just and righteous man. He was actually a bishop of Myra during the, the early 4th century of the church. And one of the things that, that we know about St. Nicholas is he was good to others and he was gracious to others. And he would do nice things, kind things, would meet the needs of others, but he would do it in, in some clever ways so as to not draw attention to himself. One of the things he would do is he would drop little gold coins off in the shoes of poor children. It's where we get the stockings being hung by the chimney with care. Uh, there's a, a, a story of of some daughters who were wanting to get married, but their families were poor and they weren't able to afford the dowry expenses. And so Nicholas quietly provided what was needed for them to get married, which really opened the door for a whole different future for these girls. Nicholas had a heart that was turned toward others. And because his heart was turned toward others, he had a life that was lived for others. In, in, the, in Westland theological circles, we talk about holiness of heart and life. And what we mean by that is that God is able to so change our hearts that our lives begin to be reordered. Amen. And we talked last week about how this season of Advent is a, it's a season where we begin to take stock of our lives. We begin to evaluate those things that are priorities to us and those things that influence us. 
oftentimes we just rush through the season and we, we, we fail in doing this. But one of the things that we typically try to do is we try to slow down. We try to put on some music that we often don't listen to. We try to hang some stuff up and maybe bring out some colors in our homes that we're not used to. The church brings out some, some pinks and purples and sometimes deep, deep navy blue in some traditions, but we surround ourselves by these things that are new and these things that are kind of abnormal. We sing songs that we don't normally sing and we read scriptures that sometimes are weird and odd. But all of this is to help us to to recalibrate our lives. Take stock of what shapes us, those, those ideas that form our habits. Nicholas, as a as a an early church father. He took stock of his life at some point and began to live his life for the sake of others. God changed his heart and turned his heart toward others. There's another person in church history. We don't typically associate him with church history whose heart was turned toward others and who whose life was lived for others, and that is Joseph. He can rightly be called a saint. He was a a man whose life and his plans and his hopes and his dreams were seemingly turned completely upside down. Everything that he thought was going to be characteristic of his future suddenly is in question. Because it seems that the impossible has happened. Joseph's example to us found in the nativity narrative is one of great concern, not for himself, but for another. Specifically, Mary. Notice the text tells us that he didn't want to make an example of her. He didn't want to bring public shame on her. He didn't want to, 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 to break things off publicly. He was trying to figure out a way that he could work through his situation so as to not damage her. His concern was for Mary, not himself. And his concern brings about and causes action, not angst. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves concerned, when we're worried, we begin fretting. We begin thinking about how things are going terribly and what can we do to fix it. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. It's just bad. What am I going to do? I can't do anything. And we find ourselves getting caught up in angst rather than figuring out the actions that are holy and righteous, that are directed out of love toward others. But Joseph here, as he's trying to figure out what it is that he can do that is the most righteous thing and the most holy thing, he is visited by an angel and that angel confirms what Mary, his betrothed, has told him. That this child that she is bearing is of the Holy Spirit. That God is fulfilling His promises to His people. Not just to Israel, he is indeed the world's, the Israel's Messiah, but God is fulfilling His promises to all of His people that He would put life back together, that He would correct all wrongs, that He would fix that which has become broken. And so the angel comes to Joseph and tells him, God is making good 
on his promises. He is showing his faithfulness. Last week we looked at making ourselves at home. This week we're looking at making room in our lives for the impossible. There was seeming impossibility for the neighbors of Nicholas, of Myra. Poverty and want creates all sorts of impossibilities. I I mentioned a a quote from a a fellow pastor that I heard years ago. It was probably 15 years ago, David. It might have been at a men's retreat. You might have been there. I, I I don't recall But uh, Danny Cochran said, money's not the most important thing in life, but it's right up there with breathing. (laughs) I thought that's pretty funny. You know, poverty, it it creates circumstances that just seems impossible. What can we do? There's nothing. There was seeming impossibility in Mary's expectation here as Mary is found to be with child and she's trying to figure out what now Lord my hopes my dreams my plans they're all now up in the air and out of my control but she's got a good and righteous man in her life who is concerned for her not himself There's seeming impossibility all around us in this world. War and hatred, constant fear and stress. Too much to do and too little time and too little resources to do it. We are surrounded by impossibility. Some of us can look at our own lives and see how things just seem impossible. There's no way it can work out. There's no way forward. There's nothing we can do. But the Scriptures tell us of a God who is able to do the impossible. In fact, if you'll remember from last week, the text we read in Luke, the angel Gabriel told Mary as as proof that God is able to do the impossible. He said, indeed now, this seems completely and utterly Ludicrous! This can't happen. It's impossible. But he says, you know what? Your, your, your family member, Elizabeth, is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And she was old and well beyond you in years and was told she would never have children. God can do the impossible. First century Palestine was a time of great impossibility. It was such an impossible time that Israel had even given up hope. Israel had seen many would-be Messiahs claim to be God's messenger, claim to be the one who would put the world back together, and they all were killed. And along comes this man named Jesus who says the kingdom 
of God has come. It is being ushered in right now in my life. The birth of John the Baptist. After 400 years of what could only be described as a long and silent wait. Brought sudden hope. We've waited. We've waited so long. We've, we've just moved on in life. I guess God has just left us to kind of pick up the pieces and make the best of a bad situation. And here comes this man, John the Baptist, who was born in seemingly impossible circumstances, and he comes to prepare the way for the Lord crying out to all of Israel to begin putting their lives back in order. Repent. You'd better turn around. You'd better start reordering your life because the kingdom of heaven is being ushered in. To redeem the world seems like an impossible task, but God is able to do it. He is the one who is able to turn the world upside down. He is the one who is able to turn a heart inside out. He is the one who is able to create saints of His people. He's able to do the impossible. He's able to create saints out of His people. And He's able to fill the world with His saints who offer the world hope and peace and joy and love. Things that seem impossible. Things that seem to be only platitudes. Things that seem to be only theological labels of what ought to be ideals. But the impossible happens in the lives of God's people where He is able to take these ideals and embed them in our hearts so that we become people of hope and peace and joy and love. We sing joy to the world and as Lindsay said, I, I agree with her. I, one of the things I love about these songs that we sing is they are so theologically rich. You know, joy to the world we often associate with Christmas, but it's actually an Advent song. It is about Christ coming to set up His rule and His reign to bring heaven on earth. We, we, we sing about the Lordship of Jesus when we sing He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. That's something that the world is still hoping for, that the church is still looking toward. When Christ will return and right all wrongs. Right now we look at the world around us and we see darkness and we see despair. We look around us and we, see, we don't see Christ ruling the world with truth and grace. We don't see the nations proving the glories of His righteousness. And the nations proving the wonders of His love. Instead we say, Lord what is happening? We're in turmoil. We are surrounded by chaos. But yet we wait. 
We wait and we hope and we prepare ourselves as we expect that He will soon come again. Not to blast the world and give, give the world what's coming to it, but to right all wrongs and to begin putting the world back together. And that's what He wants to do now in our lives and in the life of the church. Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts, who was actually quite influential on John Wesley, is also, it, it's, it's a holiness hymn. We sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorn infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And so as we wait in hopeful expectation, as we wait, we are called to prepare ourselves to make room in our lives for the impossible to happen. For a heart to be turned outward. And for a life to be lived for the sake of others. We celebrate the life of St. Nicholas today on December the 6th. Because December the 6th is the date that Nicholas died. It's interesting the difference or the, the, the motivations behind the feast days of the saints. We honor their lives on the day of their death. <clears throat> Typically, we have no earthly idea the day of their birth. But when it comes to Christmas... When it comes to Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, don't buy into all the things that you've read on Reddit and the videos that you've seen on YouTube and all that that say that Christmas as December the 25th was picked because they were trying to hijack a Roman holiday. A lot of that stuff's just myth and legend and completely fictitious there's there's quite a bit of historical and theological motivation behind December the 25th being selected quite a bit if you're curious about that talk to me afterwards or shoot me an email and I'll I'll send you some stuff but we celebrate Jesus's birth not his death in the ancient world in the Roman world there was only one whose birth was celebrated and that was Caesar. Because he was Lord of the Empire. In celebrating the birth of Jesus, the church is declaring that Jesus is indeed Lord. He is Lord of the cosmos. He is Lord of all there is. And we substantiate that claim when we make Him Lord of our lives. And when we live our lives as though Jesus is indeed Lord. When we yield ourselves to Him so that He can transform our hearts and turn our hearts toward others. 
And when we yield our lives to the extent that our lives can begin to be lived for the sake of others, we declare in heart and in life, through our actions, through our behaviors, through our interactions with others, through all of our relationships, that Jesus is indeed Lord. And that as we await His return to put the world back together, we yield ourselves to Him so that He can begin putting back together the pieces of our broken lives. So that we can then be means of grace into the lives of others. During Advent, we prepare ourselves for Jesus' return. We await His return. But we await not passively, not lazily. We await by working, by preparing, by sharing the good news with others in both word and in deed. Let us be found prepared for the impossible. Let's pray.